Welcome to the Crushing Cash Flow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome to another episode of Crushing Cashflow. I'm your host, Andrew Shutsky, and with me today is Ramsey Blankenship. Let me start off by saying this guy is a total badass. Ramsey is currently a Master Chief Petty Officer in the Navy, specializing in explosive ordnance disposal as part of the Special Forces operations. So really, really impressive background. He's also the co-founder of realfocus.org. As an experienced investor focused on converting distressed properties into cash flowing, incoming producing, income producing assets. Welcome to the show, man. And thank you for your service, first and foremost. Oh, too easy, Andrew. Thanks for paying your taxes, brother. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Still my part. <laughs> so let's start off by telling us what is realfocus.org and, and what is it all about? So realfocus.org is uh it's we're the general partnership for syndicated properties. And we focus on 100 plus unit um, B and C class apartments with a value add component. And so what we do is essentially find people who are looking to invest in real estate, but don't necessarily have the time to to do the market research and understand all the ins and outs of it. They partner with people like us who do. Uh, They invest their capital. We invest our time and everybody makes out with a good return on their investment. So in a nutshell, that's what realfocus.org is. Awesome. So I'd love to know, and I'm in a similar situation, but not probably as extreme as you are, but how are you managing, you know, balancing a full-time job? You know, he's currently in overseas right now with the investing piece. And what tips do you have for those that are trying to do the same thing? Well, so I tell you, um, the short answer is I've got good a good team. Yeah. Um, the long answers to that is I wasn't quite as smart as, as I am now, if, if I even would use that term to define myself, but I used to do everything myself. Right. And I think that's how most people get started is they, you know, they try that what my dad would say is uh, penny smart, pound foolish. Right. And um, everything that I did when I first got started was, hey, I can save ten dollars an hour doing drywall or I can manage these properties myself or I can handle this. And uh, in the long run, that ended up putting me in the hospital. I ain't kidding you. There's a long story there, but I worked myself into a hospital and. that was my eye-opening experience to essentially, hey, dude, you got to start delegating this stuff. And that's being in the military, we're taught every day how to delegate. I mean, that's literally the epitome of our job is, is, is being able to delegate and lead others. But on my personal side, I wasn't doing that at all. I was trying to do everything myself, wasn't building up a team. And so now, fast forward, uh, let's see, six, seven years later, Uh, I'm able to manage a lot more because I've got a good team that frees up my bandwidth for creativity and frees up my bandwidth for looking at opportunities. And now I can see, uh, for lack of a better term, I can see the forest uh, without the trees. If that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Saying that saying back, not as easy. (laughs) No, I can relate a lot to that and being on the civilian side of things in the corporate world, as opposed to the military, a lot of it sounds really similar, right? Used to having that DIY mentality, the hard work, dig in, get after it. 
And it's hard to let go of things, even when you know they're not value-add things. And they teach us the same thing. Hey, you only have so much time a day. You're, you're taught to be a thought leader, not necessarily a doer in every category. And those things just should be farmed out, go ahead and do it. But it's easier said than done, honestly, a lot of the time. So, Yeah, so I, well, the, the military, uh, what I should say is, is uh, it forced me into having to partner with people because we move so much. Yeah. I mean, every three to five years, we get stationed in a new location and I, uh, the place that I was investing, I, you know, got orders and left the area and that, you know, you cannot manage something, uh, efficiently or effectively from, from far away. So I had to go out and look and find somebody who I trusted. And, and I started building that relationship, uh, well before I left. So I wasn't put in that situation. And, uh, after building trust with my, my property manager, uh, now I've got a, a truly, truly passive income coming from that area. And I was forced into that from being in the military. So, so you're an extreme example, but there's lots of people investing remotely you know, that may not have the ability to travel regularly to an area across the U.S. or something even on a, on a closer basis. But I'd love to know, how are you finding your partners, your boots on the ground, et cetera? So it's... I have I have a, a real hard time partnering with someone that I haven't built trust with. I think that's probably true for everybody. So it's not something that I do right away. Um, for instance, my my property manager back in, in Panama City, Florida, where the majority of my uh, my properties are, she she approached me uh, one day, at, and she wasn't even a property manager. She asked me. She 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 came up to me and she wanted to get into real estate. And she basically came up to me knowing that I was into real estate. She was a tenant of mine. Yeah. And she says, "Hey, you look like you need some help. Here's how I can help." And until that day, everybody that had come up to me had asked me to help them. Yeah. Right. Like, hey, I want to learn about real estate. Can you teach me? And I'm like, yeah. And I'd sit down and have a couple hour conversation with them and they never do anything with it. Well, she was the first person uh, that came up to me and said, how can I help you? And that dude, that <laughs> I was like, what you want to help me? Nice. And uh, she found a way she started managing my administrative side of things. I was real uh, like, you know, I can swing a hammer and she was good with a pen. So we partnered up and, and I let her do uh, all of the, sh I mean, she, she was much more nicely dressed than I was. I always looked, had paint on my shirt or drywall on my hands whenever I was showing uh, potential tenants the, the the units. Well, she cleaned herself up nice and she was much more presentable and nicer than I was. Yeah. And uh, she did a better job finding tenants than I did and better job administratively. And that relationship just grew uh, to where now she, if, if I need something to be fixed, she's got relationships with contractors that'll fix it for me. And I trust her. I, I really, uh, it's a pretty much hands-off investment. The whole operation that I got going on in Panama City, Florida, she manages all my properties now. So we grew together. Um, fast forward that now uh, into the syndication realm, the two people that I partner with, uh, one of them I worked with in the military and his job in the military is, is essentially project management. His name's Joey Bickham. He's down in Panama city, Florida as well. But in the military, they have a, a it's kind of like the army Corps of uh, engineers in the Navy. They're called the CBs and they're the construction battalion. So his job from, since he joined the Navy till now, he grew from, from pretty much hammer swinging to now he manages multi-million dollar projects uh, for building buildings at the Navy uh, you know, converts like his last project was building a, uh, 
you know, a multi-million dollar kennel for the canine units. So he knows how to read contracts. He knows how to uh, accept and, and compare quotes. He knows how to manage contractors and all that. My second partner I, I, I had been in business with for five years in a different business, completely different uh, entity, which was uh, hosting baseball tournaments in, in our other company uh, that we throw baseball tournaments throughout the Southeast portion of the United States. And he wanted to get into real estate. And I knew his administrative capabilities were, were bar none. He's very good at task management. When it, when it comes to me, the way that I think, I have all these great ideas, right? And I like to, I like to, the way that we look at our team, right? And anybody who's listening to this, I want you to think about where you're at and what you need. Because me, I know, I know the GPS coordinates of where we should be. I don't have the map, right? Joey, the general contractor style guy, he, he's got the map. He knows the resources. He knows the terrain. He knows how to navigate. But he didn't have the path. And Brandon, he's very task oriented. He knows to keep how to keep people in the right direction. So he gives us the route. So you put those three components together, we're able to get wherever we want to go. And uh, that's kind of how I focused uh, on building the team. That's kind of a military style way of thinking, but it works out for us. No, I think it's a really way, a really good analogy and way to to relate it to everybody and what they're doing, what you're looking for. So you got to have a you got to have a direction where you're going. You got to have a way to get there. So make, that yeah. makes it really simple, which is great. So uh, we're kind of going in reverse order I normally would do, but yeah, you know, what was your first spark? Like, how did you start and then how did you scale from there? Oh, man. <laughs> so uh, I was in San Diego, California. I'd been stationed out there and uh, my wife and I bought a house. It's a little bitty house in an up and coming town, Imperial Beach. It was like the last little beach town on the California coast. And we owned a house there. Uh, last affordable beach town. Well, right before we left, that that market started increasing quite a bit. And so whenever I sold, we walked away from that deal. And, and you know, I bought that house. It was just a, it was just, I wasn't it was an investment. I was just trying to provide a place for me and my family to live. But whenever we left, we put forty thousand dollars in our pocket. And I, I looked at my wife. I was like, we're rich. We're rich. <laughs> I was like, 20, I was 22, 23 years old. Babe, we made it. We're killing it. And, uh, you know, that kind of opened my eyes to the, to the power of, of real estate. And I had been reading all the books, man. I'd wanted to be an investor. I, you know, I'd read uh, rich dad, poor dad. I'd read, uh, I'd read, uh, the automatic millionaire. I'd read the Dave Ramsey stuff and I had all these different approaches to take, but real estate was never, uh, purchasing assets. I had just not purchased one. When we went to Florida, um, I told my wife, I said, Hey, you know, I've been reading these books and I think what we ought to do is we ought to buy like a duplex, live in one side, rent the other side out. That'll, that'll pay for our mortgage. And we yep. pretty much live free. And, and, uh, she said, yeah, how about, how about no, <laughs> <laughs> she, she was not on board. And, and, and in my mind, I was like, why doesn't this make sense to you? Like, I'm, I'm trying to explain that we can live for free. Yep. Um, but I, what I wasn't, I was looking at everything, uh, you know, logically, economically, and she's looking at it as like, yeah, but I'm not willing to give up our happiness. I don't want, look, Ramsey, we're trying to build a family. We're growing a family. We've got dogs. I don't want people listening in on everything we're saying. I don't want to have to be considerate of everyone else when we're in our house. And uh, what I heard when she told me no, and, and, and she gives me crap about this all the time because I never hear a no. I hear a yes, but, <laughs> right? Yeah, I uh, really 
Yeah. So I, I, that's what I hear whenever she tells me, no, it's okay. It's a yes, but there's a condition, right? And her condition was we can do this, but we don't, I don't want to share a wall. All right. That was her concern. Yeah. I went out looking for a, a place and I found a three bedroom, two bath house, the garage for the cars. It had the yard for the dog is it, you know, it had everything. But on the back, it had these two little one bedroom, one bath cottages that had alley access completely detached from the home. And uh, and I was like, this is great. So I showed her the house and uh, asked. I just showed her the house and showed her the two uh, units in the back. I was like, what do you think about the house? And she's like, it's fine. You know, we're going to be here three years. It's nothing to write home about, but it'll work. And I said, OK, cool. Let's get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> While we were under contract, I bought her into the house and uh, I said, you see those two, those, what do you think about our two neighbors out back? And she was like, they look like neighbors. And I says, yeah, you can live with that. And she's like, Ramsey, we're going to have neighbors. What, what? I said, okay, cool. Well, those two cottages pay $650 each a month. And the mortgage on this place is 1200 bucks. Says so we're going to get paid a hundred dollars a month to live here. And when we, when we, because the we, remember we came from San Diego, we're paying twenty five hundred dollars a month just oh, yeah. to live. Yep. Now we're getting paid a hundred dollars a month to live in in the big house, while the two little houses paid for our mortgage. And that was from there, man. It was it was all uphill from there. Or like it, every everything kind of clicked, and she was all in. And now we had, uh, we we were saving like fifteen hundred dollars a month just from that one decision. And from there, we started putting money away and started buying assets every chance that we could. It's funny, your story of getting started. And that sounds awfully similar to a buddy of mine. He's looking to move. He's much younger. He's in his early, you know, mid-20s now. And he was having the same uh, sales pitch to his wife. Hey, we're, we're moving for a relocation for work. And why don't we, you know, we're, we're going to be spending all this money and the rent's higher. Why don't we look at a duplex, a triplex, a quadplex, whatever. She's like, no way. I'm not sharing a wall. So the bottom line is it has to work for you and your spouse. But there's endless, if you're really willing to look for opportunities, there's endless configurations, right? You can have a shared wall, not a shared wall, a property, a block down the street, something close by. There's so many different options, small apartment buildings, mid, you know, large size apartment buildings. There's so many barriers you can get into um, with so many different options to solve them, which I think is really cool. And everybody's got a different way of, of if you're hungry enough, you'll find a way that, that works for you and your family if, if you really want to find it. So. So I think that's and a great- I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer, like a house hack, uh, or that's the pretty word for what we did. We didn't know we were house hacking at time. We were just buying yeah, something. That had I did the same. Yep. yep. But it is, it's free money. If you yeah. don't do this, like you're leaving money on the table because uh, you're already going to pay to live somewhere, right? Yeah. You're going to have, you're going to have to either pay rent or a mortgage. And we found out a way to, to get pay, to have someone else pay our mortgage. Uh, and it was a literally one for one cash on cash return. It was a hundred percent. Whereas we didn't have to buy something, pay the mortgage on that. And, and everything that was left was ours. We were already spending that money on a mortgage. So anything we yeah. made from those uh, properties was a hundred percent cash flow. Love it. Love I'll, it. I'll never not do this. <laughs> I will never not do it until I'm done. <laughs> you know, I've heard stories similar, but they're all different hundreds of times and they, I never get tired of it. So, so what does your portfolio look like today? So first from a house hack to 2021, March. Yeah. So uh, that was in 2015. We started with the house hack. And then from there, I got a little bit more comfortable being a landlord. I bought a duplex. Uh, from that duplex, I, I moved into commercial uh, small apartment complexes, mostly 10 units and below. 
Uh, bought a seven-unit apartment complex in Panama City. Eventually did the Burr strategy on that. Yep. So that's uh, buy, renovate, retenant, refinance, and repeat, right? And uh, once I did that, I was like, okay, I I want to do this again. But Panama City is kind of it's kind of a small market. There's just not a lot of inventory uh, to choose from. So I started partnering with other people in different states. And now uh, I've got multiple apartment, com- small apartment complexes across different states, and we are now syndicating larger apartment complexes uh, along the I-10 corridor, essentially from Mobile all the way down to Jacksonville, Florida. So, um, predom- like I got started in small multifamily, and I've stayed multifamily and got into big multifamily. But now I tell you what, I still do a house hack. My house in California. I have a converted Airbnb in that, and that pays for half my mortgage out there. And I'll ne- I will never not do a house hack. <laughs> it's just it. one. I love it. So, what's been your over the past five years? We've really gone into it. What's been your biggest lesson learned to date? Uh, market selection. Uh, so, I, you know what? It's not even necessary market selection. And I will say one of the best things about me and one of the worst things about me is 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 I, at the time that I was investing, I was just naive enough to get started. Um, did not know I was in an up and coming real estate market, did not know that I was making good decisions. I mean, I thought I was making good decisions. Um, but once I got my template, basically I had, I had a rule of thumb that I would go by on and I wouldn't even call it underwriting. I would just call it analyzing quick napkin analyze. If I thought I could make it work, I'd take action real quick. I did that in Panama city, Florida. And then whenever I started partnering with other people, I had, I, you know, I had a buddy who wanted to invest in Louisiana or he was from Louisiana. I said, cool, here's how I analyze deals. If you find one that works like this, we'll go buy it. And we did. And in 2018, I did my taxes for Panama City and was killing it. I mean, awesome. Then I flipped the page and I did my taxes for Shreveport, Louisiana, and I lost money. And I said, oh, pump the brakes. <laughs> like, what, what, what is happening? And uh, on paper, that property should have made money based on the gross income, all the rules of thumb that people tell you, like the 1% rule, 2% rule. It was yeah. right at 2%. But what I didn't realize was that in that market, utilities had to be included to get the rents to the numbers we wanted. And mm-hmm. even when you included utilities, Occupancy was at 60, 70% across the entire market in multifamily apartment complexes. So those two things alone dropped our bottom line to, to essentially break even or just below breaking. The moment we had uh, one vacancy, we weren't getting paid. So I went to look into why that was. And uh, I don't know if you follow a guy named Neil Bauer. Uh, he, they call him the data mad scientist of multifamily. That dude knows how to understand. He, he understands data. And he was on a podcast one day talking about if you are in Shreveport, Louisiana, you need to sell now. And I, <laughs> <laughs> crap. I said, oh, man. Uh, so because of that statement, I went to his, uh, you know, me and me and my partner in Shreveport, we paid a couple thousand dollars flew out to L.A., and we sat there and worked with him and learned how to analyze a market. And now I will not pick a market that does not give me and my investors the best opportunity to have a good return on our, our investment. So that would be my my biggest learning point from that uh, as far as what if, how to turn a failure into success, because we definitely failed in Treeport. 
That's huge. And I'll, I'll kind of add to that and say not only your market, but the sub market on the sub market on the sub market. I, I don't know about a lot of the listeners out there, but I know some are like I'm looking in the central Florida area and a lot of it, you know, Jacksonville area, you know, can be kind of street by street even. So you yeah. really got to know, you know, the comps on not only the zip code, but the blocks around there. So you can never have too much information, but at the same time, you want to get paralyzed by information, but definitely that's a huge, you know, first, second, third step should be knowing your submarket really well. Yeah, so. And I will say that, that that statement that I made is, is very specific. Well, it's not specific to multifamily investing, but it makes a lot bigger dent when you are buying 100, 200 unit apartment complexes in a tertiary market. Yep. Let's say the population's 10,000 or below. You're buying up, you're buying up a, a dent and the amount of housing that's available. So if something happens to that market, let's say that market's Odessa, Texas, and that and that market depends on oil, and it's right at, you know, it's got as many people as they have houses. Well, the moment the oil runs out, now you're going to have negative vacancy, or you're going to have vacancy, a lot of it, because there's just not enough people to support it. And so you can make money on real estate in bad markets, you can make it in good markets at least for multifamily where you're buying a large chunk of housing, you've got to be a lot more uh, attentive to the market itself. I think in Shreveport, Louisiana, there's going to be a lot of people because I always beat up on Shreveport and that's just because Shreveport beat me up. So I'm, I'm, I'm firing back. Sure. But there are people in Shreveport making money doing fix and flips. There's people making money on new development. Um, so there are people who say, yeah, you can make a lot of money in Shreveport. What I will say, if you're going to dabble multifamily in Shreveport, you had better be, know what you're doing. You had better be local. You know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you, you can cut expenses whenever things happen by doing things yourself. You can, and the bottom line is you can be successful in any market, even timing independent, but you got to know how to stack the deck in your favor. And if you know how to stack the deck, why not make it so a little bit easier on your ends, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, awesome. So thanks so much, Ramsey, for telling your story. I really appreciate all the guidance and advice. It's great stuff. Last question, Mayan, how can we get in touch with you? So our website is realfocus.org and that's real as in real estate, focus.org. And you can email me at Ramsey at realfocus.org and that's R-A-M-S-E-Y at realfocus.org. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come. 